InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Being a good parent may mean letting your kids sometimes fail and suffer the consequences, according to our next guest. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here with the interview. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's the author of How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success. So you served as Dean of Freshman and Undergraduate Advising at Stanford University, and you noticed a pretty serious problem with many students. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I was Dean of Freshman from 2002 to 2012, and over the years I noticed more and more parents were wanting to play a role in the day-to-day lives of their college-age sons and daughters, which wasn't inherently problematic. What became problematic from my point of view was those students, the children of those parents, were quite grateful for mom or dad to do what we might think of as the heavy lifting of life for them in college. Parents wanted to register for classes, ask questions about opportunities, speak with a professor if a grade was less than desired, and so on. So my concern was, wait a minute, these young adults who are terribly accomplished in so many ways, 18 to 22 years old, you know, they seem to be content with mom or dad asking the questions, solving the problems, doing the thinking, what's to become of them? When will they really claim that adult label for themselves and be the adult in their own lives? Mom and dad won't be able to be there forever. At some point, this close intertwinedness really needs to end. So that's why I wrote the book. It seems like this is a trend overall for young people today. Many are getting their driver's licenses later. They're marrying later. So isn't this almost a natural thing? Well, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. We need to be quite cautious if we're going to make that statement. If you think about it, there are many young people for whom the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines is really a fantastic option after high school. And when those kids are 18, we're happy to send them out to serve our nation and put themselves in harm's way to fight and perhaps lose their lives in behalf of the freedoms and other things we believe in. So if we're going to say that you can still you know, be adult enough to join the military at 18, why would we say somehow that kids who are in college are less capable or that somehow college is more challenging and parents need to be alongside those kids in order to ensure their outcomes? I think we really have to ask the question at that level. I've heard this from friends who have kids in their early 20s that some of their kids' friends, recent college graduates, have no idea how to cook an actual meal for themselves or even to do laundry. Well, look, this is what I'm talking about. We've allowed this to happen. It's not a developmentally necessary fact. Since really the early 80s, we've begun a parenting style in this country and in others where we're doing a tremendous amount of hovering. We're doing a lot of protecting. We're directing our kids towards specific outcomes. You must attend this college or you should study STEM. You know, you need to get a certain GPA or SAT score. You know, we've been hand-holding them, acting as their personal assistant, their concierge, you know, to make sure that their path is smooth and that things go well. But what we've lost sight of is humans need life skills. It doesn't really matter what your GPA or your SAT scores are if you don't know how to talk to strangers when you need help out in the world or if you don't know how to make your way around a new town or you don't know how to pump gas, you don't know how to make a meal. We think these things are sort of trivial, non-important, but they turn out to be the stuff of life that we want our young adults and any adult to be capable of handling for themselves. We parents, we act as if we'll always be there to handle this stuff of life for our kids, and quite simply, we won't. 
And we've got to prepare our kids for that inevitable day when we're gone. And hopefully they have the skills well before we're gone. Our guest on InfoTrack is Julie Lithcott-Hames, the author of How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kid for Success. Julie, as the former dean of freshmen at Stanford University, how widespread do you think this is? Over the years, we saw more and more. It actually began in the late 90s, and there's a really good reason why, which I'd love to share with you. But let me answer the first question, which is, in the late 90s, we began seeing a small number of parents who were encroaching upon the life of the university in this way, and a small number of students who expected their parents to do that for them. But every year, the numbers grew, and I would say by the time I stepped down as dean in 2012, a good 30 to 40% of students and parents seem to have this intertwinedness, this relationship that required daily communication and parents really doing a lot of the thinking and the problem solving and decision making for their sons and daughters. So that's the number. I want to say also this wasn't just a Stanford thing. I would talk to colleagues at annual conferences, colleagues who are working around the nation at schools in many different tiers, so to speak, and everybody was noticing this. Every administrator and a growing number of faculty at four-year institutions were seeing this rise in parental involvement and the decline in a student's ability to really think and do and be for themselves and on their own. Now, you mentioned that you thought there was a particular reason why it accelerated in the late 90s. Why was that? the early 80s, there was a confluence of four very important factors that contributed to, that really created this mindset of helicopter parenting. The first was the stranger danger concept was born. We had a couple of terrible, horrific examples of child abduction by strangers, and they were highly publicized. And really, as a nation, we began to fear that it was possible in any community, at any moment, on any street corner. The data never bore out this fear But nevertheless, our behaviors as parents pivoted accordingly, and we began hovering around our kids on sidewalks and in playgrounds and in parks, malls, and grocery stores. Number two, the play date was born in 1984. Parents were no longer comfortable just letting kids play freely or arrange their own play. As a practical matter, in many families, both parents were now working. And so parents began organizing play in advance, putting it in the calendar, but then hovering over the play, uh, watching out for what kids were playing, trying to enrich the play, and intervening when kids might not have been getting along instead of letting kids sort it out. The third thing was the self-esteem movement was born. This was the notion that everyone should get a trophy just for participating. And these kids grew up expecting to be patted on the back and told they were great and perfect and so on, just for kind of existing, not for actually accomplishing anything. And the fourth factor was a nation at risk, a book published in the early 80s that said American students weren't faring as well academically vis-a-vis their international counterparts, and we needed more testing and more teaching to the test. So in the aggregate, the kids born in the early 80s were subjected to parental involvement in homework and on the playgrounds, around play, around activities, and they lived a very protected existence. So those kids were the kids who came to college in the late 90s the first set to come basically with their parents right alongside them. And not coincidentally, they are the millennial generation, the start of the millennial generation, parented by the baby boomers, who quite ironically insisted on their own self-actualization as teenagers and young adults when they were growing up, but now paradoxically robbing their own kids of the chance for the same thing, for that development of their own voice and their own sense of self. Well, you write extensively about some better ways of parenting, so let's hear some of your suggestions. Let me say, in the book, I make it really clear that I discovered that I was on track to be one of those parents who couldn't let go 
because I was doing too much for my own kids. They were 8 and 10 when I realized I'm still cutting their meat. And <laughs> you probably need to stop cutting their meat at some point if you ever expect them to be independent. So that's kind of the big picture. As parents, we must realize that our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job and raise our kid to be an independent adult who can fend for themselves. How do we get there? How do we stop overhelping so that our kids can actually fend for themselves at the age of 18 or call it 20, call it 25, whatever you want to call it, age-wise, at some point they need to have the skills. That's the philosophical pivot we have to make in our minds and souls. And then there's the practical, so how do we do it? Childhood affords the opportunity if only we'll let it. So, for example... A kid needs to learn how to cross the street. There's this beautiful four-step method that I learned from folks in the special needs community, actually, who have to be deliberate about teaching skills to kids because the disability might otherwise, you know, impede that development. So here's the four-step method. It applies to really any kid and any skill. First, you do it for them. Then you do it with them. Then you watch them do it. And then they do it independently. So crossing the street, you do it for them. You're holding them in your arms. Then you do it with them. They're standing. They're capable of walking. You're holding their hand. You're doing the thinking about looking left, right, and left. You're talking out loud. You're narrating it to them. You're teaching them. But you're still there making the decision. Step three is you watch them do it. You have confidence that your kid can look left and right and left again, that they can make that good judgment. But you're there to reach your arm out and grab them if they step off the curb too soon. And then step four, you have confidence they can do it without you. You're not even there. You're somewhere else, but you have confidence my kid knows how to cross the street. Look, this four-step method can be applied to anything from crossing the street to doing their own taxes and everything in between. But the point is they need the skill. You're doing them no favors by doing all of these important tasks of life for them. Julie Lithcott-Hames, the author of How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kid for Success. Julie, is there a website where folks can learn more about you? Yeah, I'm at howtoraiseanadult.com, so I would love for your listeners to find me there. Well, thank you again for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information 